0: One of the unlikely folks in the Old Testament um, to be called upon by God to do work for the kingdom was Abram. And our Old Testament reading is from Genesis 17. Um, It begins at the first verse and goes through the seventh, not the seventeenth. It's a typo. Uh, But I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord, as it is there written. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading comes to us from the Gospel according to Mark in the eighth chapter, beginning at the thirty first verse and continuing through the thirty eighth. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them... The Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here ends this reading from God's Holy Word. In this morning's Gospel reading, we begin with Jesus doing some of his teaching with his disciples. Ah, some good old fashioned, real life in the flesh face-to-face, live and in-person interaction and instruction. What we wouldn't give for more of that about right now. But this past week, the first full week in the season of Lent, wasn't all that unusual for me in this new normal, as folks like to call it. In the era of pandemic, we've all had to make changes, sometimes significant changes, to our routines. Some of the changes I've had to make, some of you have also had to make similar. I find I am participating, for example, in more workshops and meetings than ever before in my life. On Thursday, for example, I had three that spanned nearly five. Hours back to back to back. Perhaps this is in part due to the fact it's become more the rule than the, than the exception for us to not meet in person. So technology has made it easier for us to have more of these meetings than we otherwise would have been able to have. And in part, the workshops and the meetings are more numerous because there, is be, there has been so much more new stuff to be discussed, what with having to adapt, to assess, and to readapt to new conceptualizations and practices of what it means to be church and how to go about living into and inviting others to participate in a socio-spiritual fellowship that is anything but new. In one of the multitude of the workshops and meetings from this past week, something stood out to me, and I wanted to share it with you because, providentially, I think it speaks directly to this morning's gospel text from Mark. The insight came from all places in the midst of a conversation that was happening concerning social media usage. This might sound a bit odd, but... It was specifically in the context of helping faith-based organizations become more comfortable with and adept at utilizing some of the tools that are becoming available for assisting in the work of manifesting the kingdom of God and making disciples of all nations. After talk about choices of image types and the proper use of hashtags and other thrilling topics, the content matter expert leading this workshop segued into a discussion on the cost of conversion, and that caught me up short. Now, she was talking about the sort of cost-benefit analysis that ordinarily takes place when it comes to getting a potential customer or viewer of information, in our case to become a transactional customer or to see something or take some desired action on our content. How much cost and effort is too little or too much to accomplish the desired outcome? That's basically the marketing theory that we were being introduced to at this time. But all I could hear over and over again was the refrain, the cost of conversion. I'd like to think that it helped that I'd been storing in the back of my mind somewhere these words from the eighth chapter of the gospel according to Mark as I had read and reread them in preparation for writing this week's sermon. But whatever the case, I'm sure the Holy Spirit was at work ensuring that I didn't miss the theologically charged phrase amidst all the practical information that was coming our way in this very... Helpful, albeit remote, educational interaction. The cost of conversion. That idea was the very one that Jesus was addressing with Peter and the rest of his friends, too. Now, I have to think that Peter thought he knew something about all this already. After all, Jesus had called Peter out of his previous Profession, as he had done with all of the disciples. They had left their boats and their homes. They had left their families and the lives they had known to follow Jesus as he traveled all around the region. Surely they knew there was a cost to following this rabbi. But it's apparent that Peter lacked a grasp on the true depths of the cost of this endeavor for Jesus and for his followers. Oh yes, indeed, the rewards were still there and they would continue to far overshadow the investment that Peter and company, and we too, for that matter, have been invited to make, but the costs are not insignificant. Admittedly, it was probably better that Peter and the others didn't know from the get-go Exactly what they were getting themselves into. Or they might have decided that the, the barriers to entry, the price of admission, the cost of conversion was just too high. Just as that's the case, I think, for most of us as well. But now they find themselves in for a penny, in for a pound, as it were. And Jesus rebukes Peter when he suggests that the death of the rabbi is something that is within his power to prevent. Simply, Jesus, change your plans. The rebuke from Jesus may sound rather sharp to our ears, but the Satan reference here is warranted, if we think back only as far as last week's gospel reading for the first Sunday of Lent. There, you might recall, we we met Jesus... In his story of the wilderness, the 40 days that he spent after his baptism being tempted. And while the author of this gospel doesn't go into great detail about the episode, the back and forth between Jesus and Satan is described by other authors of other gospels. And one of the things that comes out of these writings is a picture of a tempter who is offering to Jesus a way out of that which lies ahead of him, for a simple change in his plans and his allegiance. This is the very thing that Peter is here suggesting, putting something, anything at all, before the will of God. And while their motives were distinctly different, the suggestions that were made by both Peter and Satan, they they led down the same path. For if Jesus turns away from the will of the Father... To seek the will of another, or even to seek his own will, then humanity does not have a new Adam, and we continue to live in a world that is unredeemed. To paraphrase a corporate team building mantra, there is no I in Jesus. And thank goodness there was no I in Jesus, or we'd all be sunk. But just as he submitted his own will to that of his Father, that too is the cost of conversion for us. It is the crucifixion of the self. Lent. It's a perfect time to consider the ramifications of that. On Friday as the men met again across the river for our weekly breakfast and Bible study, we touched a bit on this subject. It wasn't the first time, mind you, and it probably won't be the last, but once again, the scriptural text we were looking at promoted an examination of the pervasiveness and the effect of an egocentric culture and the challenge that it presents to Christianity. Lent can be a time, not for only considering the cost that was paid by Jesus on our behalf, but also the cost of our own discipleship, the cost of conversion. What it has been, what it is in this moment, and what it might be in the days that lay ahead. Peter would come to understand slowly and a bit more fully over time what the cost was for Jesus and for himself. As far as we know, only one of the named disciples were not killed on account of their association with Jesus and his cause. With billions nowadays professing to be Christians, the proportion of believers to martyrs has decreased drastically over time, and that's not a bad thing, certainly, but it can be, in a way, too much of a good thing. By that I mean if we are no longer if we no longer bring to mind the risks associated with being followers of Jesus, well how dedicated are we really to that cause? Christian discipleship, after all, has always come with a risk to self. Paul describes us as having to have to die to self in order to follow the Messiah. In this morning's gospel text, Jesus himself says of his disciples, they will need to take up their crosses and follow him. Now, really, that's precisely what he is calling for. Ten days ago now, we successfully landed another probe on the surface of Mars. And if that wasn't a fantastic enough feat of rocket science, Some of the brain power involved in that project sent as part of that probe coded messages for the rest of humanity to see and for anyone else who comes along in the future to find there on the Martian surface, worked into the design of the 70 foot diameter parachute that was deployed to slow the descent of the craft for a soft landing on the Martian surface was an intricate design that could be seen only from beneath in those few minutes when the parachute was doing its all-important job. These people knew there was going to be a camera on their probe that was pointed upward during the landing process and will be able to make out all the designs in that synthetic material. When it was recognized that it included some sort of intricate pattern, sleuths quickly set about to decipher the code, which turned out not to be all that difficult for them. Jesus has this message for Peter and his disciples, for you and I as we hear it again today, and there is no code involved in it. Verse 32 begins, he, Jesus, said all this openly. Jesus is speaking just as plainly as he can and just as bluntly as we need to hear it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist nor a cryptographer or even a seminary-trained theologian to interpret this. There is a cost to conversion. Jesus was going to pay the cost that no other could, and he was going to invite his followers to be prepared to pay their own cost, turning away from, giving up some things that were comfortable, perhaps even cherished to them. So it is that traditionally in this season of Lent, the faithful have been called to acts of penitence and repentance, as we focus anew on the divine things and not on the human things. Conversion, by definition, means change. Whether it is a change from shopper to customer, or whether it is a change from skeptic to follower, conversion involves moving from one place to another place. And there is a transactional cost involved, whether it is measured in terms of shekels or dollars or bitcoin or something even more dear to us than any currency. Those who accept the invitation to believe and follow will be changed, often in ways we could never have expected and not always in ways that we would have preferred as we are drawn closer to and sanctified to become more in the image of that which we most desire. Such is the cost of conversion, and for that we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.